This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and we are joined by EPFR's resident economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week and the data that EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming weeks. Cam, good afternoon. Any latest uh, fishing stories or exciting trips coming up? Well, given the fact that uh, Hurricane Fiona is trundling along off the coast, uh, were I going fishing, it would be very exciting indeed. So this may be a, a rare weekend where I I get my tackle in order and think about future trips. So, you know, so, so we'll see. I don't quite know how it'll unfold, but certainly... Uh, some of the predictions for the Canadian Maritimes are quite alarming. But anyway, uh, you know, yeah, much the same as most predictions for the global economy right now. <laughs> exactly. We'll have to get an update next week on on that. Like you mentioned, the outlook remained tight going into this week, and that proved to be the correct approach. Um Russia took an even firmer grip. Energy rationing started happening with winter coming along and tightening policy across the board were just a few troublesome worries running through investors' minds. Um, The Fed instilled a 75 basis point hike in the latest week. And to give a bit of background, this year we've seen rate hikes in March by a quarter point May by 50 basis points and by 0.75% in both mid-June and end of July. The last time the Fed pulled off a soft landing, meaning that they were able to intervene, stabilize prices without causing a recession, um, was in 1994. Do you have any idea of whether their actions hint towards a soft landing or a hard landing? Well, they're certainly um, preparing us increasingly for a hard landing. Um, you know, Powell's recent remarks were uh, again um, heavy on you know the pain that's likely to accompany this more aggressive uh, tightening. Uh, th- that said, I think the Fed's doing it now because. Uh, front-loading it when the U.S. economy is still reasonably robust uh, does increase the chance that the the landing won't be um, that painful. Um, A soft landing is a very hard thing to uh, engineer, and it certainly helps if other parts of the world are in good shape and kind kind of give you a helping hand through higher demand for exports or some you know, something along those lines. And we're obviously in a situation where, you know, you look around the rest of the world and it uh, is sort of pick your poison. Um, you know, ch- Chinese demand is is dropping, uh, at least at the moment. Um, Europe uh, is uh, still sailing through a sea of troubles. Um, and U.S. monetary policy is not... Uh, particularly positive for most emerging markets. So I think uh, I think the Fed hopes that by doing it the way they're doing it, they will get a soft landing, but uh, they're uh, certainly not promising it to us at this point. 
Right. That is, that is, <laughs> that is apparent. Um, what did we see in terms of fund flows? How did, how did investors react given the latest, the latest news? They generally went on the defensive, which you will know, come as no surprise uh, to anyone who's been watching global markets. Uh, but they also didn't overreact. Um, and in uh, some cases, they showed uh, you know, quite high levels of uh, positive uh, sentiment towards some of the dedicated country groups. Uh, um, you know, we were looking at uh, um, big flows into the fund groups dedicated to the sort of three uh, emerging Asian heavyweights, uh, Korea, uh, China uh, and India, um, uh, Austria bond funds had a, a record-setting weekly inflow. Um, you know, another very decent week of flows into Sweden equity funds. Um, Spain and Denmark bond funds didn't do badly, so. It was pretty much what you would have expected, I think, but speckled by um, you know some interesting point pockets of conviction. Um, you 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 uh, perused the sector fund flows. Uh, did you sort of pick up any optimistic notes in those as you perused them? Um, optimistic. I'm not. I'm not too positive, but um, we did see six six more groups this week um, again pull in inflows. So same count is there, um, but the level of money flowing in definitely dropped um, by about half. We saw six groups last week pull in around two two point three billion. Um, this week it dropped to one point one billion. So there is that level of money flowing in has dimmed in the last week. Um, that said, we did see a big inflow for silver funds. Despite all the inflation pressures going around, gold funds are still running through a 13-week streak outflow. No, I was uh, my eye was caught by the silver too, since that uh, has you know more touch points in a way than gold it has uh, fairly widespread industrial applications especially in the tech sector uh, is kind of the junior cousin in the precious metals uh, echelon yeah we we also saw industrial sector funds which we track um, pull in an inflow this week as well so that matched the sentiment towards silver funds yeah, no, I was interested by that, given sort of the fairly gloomy <laughs> overall narrative uh, we, we were hearing. Um, but, uh, you know, we still have to produce staples. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, given that we're likely to have supply constraints if the energy squeezes as bad uh, as people project, then uh, out of the gate factory prices uh, – are going to be higher, and those factories that can produce are going to have pricing power. So that may be why we're seeing these slightly counterintuitive flows into the industrial funds. Interesting. Um, So elsewhere, we also saw the notion of increasing uh, spread globally. Uh, We saw Britain, Indonesia, Norway, and Switzerland raise rates as well. You also mentioned that the Bank of Japan is currently the last ultra-accommodative developed market central bank standing. 
was this trickling reaction expected once the Fed made a decision or was this a surprise to some markets? No, I don't. I don't think there was any uh, surprise. Um, in fact, there was sort of a faint relief rally that they hadn't uh, hiked their rates by a uh, hundred basis points. Um, and you know, w- with the Fed raising rates, uh, it gets harder and harder for the rest of the world not to follow suit. Um, Certainly beginning to sort of get the feeling of an almost religious conversion with all of the central bankers uh, flocking back to the altar of price stability and inflation containment. Uh, Switzerland uh, joined the ranks of... uh, Central banks that have uh, wrapped up their experiment with negative interest rates. And as you mentioned, uh, that does leave uh, Japan increasingly in splendid isolation, uh, especially among the developed, you know, major developed market central banks. Um, and we are sort of seeing signs that uh, you know, a subset of investors are wondering, you know, if this can really hold. Um, you know, the weakness of the Japanese yen, you know, is usually, um, you know, the, uh, usually regarded as, as mildly positive because given Japan's dependence on exports, it, it gives them a competitive advantage there. But that's increasingly offset by the fact that um, dollar-denominated inputs, you know, such as uh, iron ore and other industrial metals are, get, are getting much more expensive for um, users in Japan. And so the, you know, the question is, and the question is ringing louder now that the, the Bank of Japan has done a currency intervention, is just how long they can and are willing uh, to sort of hold their current line. Um, the, you know, the trigger may be that at some point, um, and, and you know, so again, there's uh, certainly some investors who feel we passed it with the Fed's latest 75 basis point hike that um, the yields on reasonably secure uh, foreign fixed income assets uh, are now attractive enough to start sending uh, your savings overseas. Uh, Japanese, certainly retail investors and savers are nothing if not yield starved. <laughs> so, um, and have a history of periodically looking outwards. You know, the, the Japanese housewife for a period was uh, 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 very much on people's minds when they looked at movements in certain asset classes. Um, so it's not an unreasonable supposition that uh, you, you could see uh, a significant chunk of, of Japanese savings begin to move offshore, you know, as an aging population looks for a bit of extra income. So, And if that happened, that would obviously greatly increase the, the pressure on the uh, Bank of Japan to look at its uh, policy set. Great. Well, th- Thank you, Cam, for your insight. I think that's all we have for today. Good. We will uh, catch up next week. We will. Good. Sounds good. Bye. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast. 